The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at Romans chapter 5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 63, Uncle Andrew and the Evident Evidence and Faith. Part 2. Conclusion. Our series on the evident, evidence, and faith is theoretically dense, complex, and philosophical, like life itself, C.S. Lewis would say, and it is life which best exemplifies these complexities. Our conscious, rational existence is an ongoing discovery of an encounter with being. How we think about this experience changes the experience itself. In The Magician's Nephew, Uncle Andrew, the magician, confronted with the mystery of Narnia's creation, fails to see the magic, the mystery, and sees only what his rationalizations allow. We pick up where we left off. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake. Uncle Andrew didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. And when the beasts spoke in answer, he heard only barkings, growlings, bayings, and howlings. And when they laughed, well, you can imagine. That was worse for Uncle Andrew than anything that had happened yet. We will find in the universe what our rational expectations bring to it, as our free will allows acceptance or denial of reality. This is the level of fundamental faith. The evident reveals to us a valued universe, since it is only in such a universe that we can be rational actors. There is no rationality without value as a component of the evident what is revealed to us. This is what our investigation of the evident has shown. To act, to think, to perceive, is to value. But we need not rationally understand value as real. It can be corrected, rewritten by our rational accounting. This is what we have called hyper-rational. This hyper-rationalized metaphysics cannot be lived, but it can be believed. If we choose to deny value, goodness, rather than embracing it, we will, eventually, succeed in seeing the world in light of those expectations. Back to the text. Such a horrid, bloodthirsty din of hungry and angry brutes he had never heard in his life. Then. To his utter rage and horror, he saw the other three humans actually walking out into the open to meet the animals. The fools, he said to himself. Now those brutes will eat the rings along with the children, and I'll never be able to get home again. What a selfish little boy that Diggory is. And the others are just as bad. If they want to throw away their own lives, that's their business. But what about me? They don't seem to think of that. No one thinks of me. The fools, 
says Uncle Andrew. For believing in an experience he has metaphysically denied. Their acting on such beliefs can only yield bad results for us all. This is the position of many in our current society. One might argue, and I have, that this represents the spirit of the age, our zeitgeist. Theism, it claims, is for fools, and following it will be disastrous. Yet, if results are to be our guide, Western civilization, Western science and culture, has been the greatest gift to humanity's well-being in all of history, concretely speaking. And it has its genesis and foundation on the sustained development of human reasoning on Western theistic assumptions. As Nietzsche points out, the discipline of Christian thought laid the intellectual ground upon which we rest. It has been tried in the crucible of experience, and its fruits are enjoyed at a level unimaginable throughout all of human history. Uncle Andrew and his intellectual compatriots, confronted with infinite complexity, see only small, manageable sections, and they are certain their understanding is adequate to the task of fixing its problems. This view oversimplifies reality, denying the mystery, the uncertain, the unknown, and unknowable, upon which reason itself rests. When we tinker thus ignorantly with the workings of so complex an organic whole, we endanger the organic structure itself. Innovators should exercise caution and humility, not least because we are all fundamentally ignorant and limited creatures. We would do better to watch and observe, wonder and be thankful for the good we experience, and perhaps look first to ourselves and our little corner of this magical world and try not to make too big a mess of that. Uncle Andrew and the witch want to rule the world, to possess it, to fix it. This, they believe, will make it good, as that is the only meaning that good can have for the magician, the Hegelian, those who deny the reality of value, the transcendent itself. Ethics on this view becomes intensely pragmatic and consequentialist like that of our magicians here. My end will justify any means. In this way, the goodness of reality forever evades them. Aslan laments that Uncle Andrew has made himself unable to receive his goodness, and I cannot comfort him either. He has made himself unable to hear my voice. If I spoke to him, he would hear only growlings and roarings. Oh, Adam's sons, how cleverly you defend yourselves against all that might do you good. But I will give him the only gift he is still able to receive. He bowed his great head rather sadly and breathed into the magician's terrified face. Sleep, he said. Sleep and be separated for some few hours from all the torments you have devised for yourself.
Uncle Andrew immediately rolled over with closed eyes and began breathing peacefully. It is worth remarking that the greatest gift Uncle Andrew can receive is unconsciousness, the goal of much Eastern religious thought. As it is his rational consciousness, his free rational choice, which makes him unable to accept, to believe in the good all about him. His eyes are closed, his rational consciousness quiescent. There is nothing evident to trouble him. Here is another of the great paradoxes. God's great gift of free will to man renders omnipotence impotent to help. We can oppose our finite will to infinite divine omnipotence. In the great divorce, Lewis said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, In the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is opened. In philosophical and scientific language, the evident is the explanandum, that which requires explanation, and our metaphysical explanation is the explanands, the posited theoretical causality, that is necessity, that explains the evident. The evident, the explanandum, points to uncertainty a mystery to be unraveled. But evidence has already a metaphysical explanance to which it points. By simplifying the complexity to which the evident points, the metaphysical explanance allows us to think that the mystery, the uncertainty, has dissolved. It also allows us to strategically ignore aspects of the evident as we turn the uncertainty back into the fog of the evidence and away from the explanands, as Uncle Andrew does here. This is why, as we've tried to make clear in this series, there are two fundamental faith paths with which we can approach our world. If we believe reality good, as God sees it in Genesis, we will seek and knock. If we believe it is not, the only real good can be the cessation of rational consciousness itself, the necessity to value, life, the source of all our suffering. We can see this second view becoming more and more prominent around us today in the embrace of abortion, in the mass shootings of our young who have imbibed so deeply of our educational embrace of this ideology, in the poisonous nature worship that passes for environmentalism, considering humans a cancer on the planet, a true culture of death. In our metaphysical or scientific explanations, we can pretend to dispel the mystery to which the evident points us. Dark matter, 
a metaphysical postulate, explains the data, answers the question. We have, we say, evidence for dark matter, and that is why we believe in it. However we pretend to know, the mystery of the evident remains. We have not dispelled it. What we don't know, what is opaque to us, does not become known, is not made clear by naming the mystery. This is what we mean by the distinction between the evident and evidence. The evident points to our ignorance, to the mystery, but evidence points to our rational constructions, our explanations. These, though, are mere placeholders, which move us toward the asymptote. The mystery remains. If we metaphysically rewrite the evident to exclude God, we will never find evidence for him, as evidence only points to our placeholders, our rational constructs. As Kant told us, being must be encountered, revealed, disclosed. It cannot be explained. Moses asked God, Who shall I say sent me? The answer is the eternal mystery of being, the divine word, I am. We are led to believe a lie when we see not through the eye. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.